Well, good morning to you. It's good to see you today, well, what I can see. And uh, I'm delighted that you're here today. Just want to say thank you for, for your attendance. And uh, sometimes in summer, people tend to stray away, and I'm glad that you're here and uh, we can worship together. The title of the message today is Looking for a City. Not like this one here, but uh, nevertheless, we're going to be talking about a wonderful city that the uh, patriarchs were looking for. A home and a house are a different place. I have a, God has blessed me with a house here in Bakersfield. I call it home. It's going to be a home for just a period of time, and that's all. And I'll be lucky, extremely fortunate if I make it to 90 or to 100, but I'm going to live billions and trillions of years in heaven. And I'm looking for a city. Are you looking for one? This world has all kinds of ailments and problems and uh, entrapments and snares and all kinds of things that go on. But one of these days we'll be in the presence of God. Things are going to be different. At my house, I, have, I like trees, and so I planted a bunch. I've killed a bunch also. <laughs> Hate to admit how many I've killed. But I have some trees. I have an apricot tree that's finally uh, the second year, and it produced uh, in the second year 20 apricots. I have a peach tree that has well over 200. I have a plum tree that just packed. I'm just giving away plums left and right. An orange tree that will be wonderful come December. Two nectarine trees, and my goodness, I have nectarines all over the place. They're falling to the ground. I have so many. And this year, for the first time in eight years, I have 15 avocados growing on my tree. <laughs> Never had any. I looked at that tree and think, like that fig tree in the uh, New Testament, maybe I should cut that thing down, you know. But finally, for the first time in eight years, I'm, I, see, I see 15 apricots. Maybe there's some more in there, but... Uh, it's taken a long time in coming. My grass is greener than it's ever been. And I uh, look at my uh, property and I love it. But I have a home in heaven waiting for me. I live at a house and I have a residence here. But it's not my permanent uh, residence. It's not my permanent dwelling place. I can't get too comfortable because one of these days I'm going home. The patriarchs, most of them never knew of a home, a permanent home. They were always in transition someplace. One of these days, you're heading home. Nobody knows when that'll occur. Well, we're just strangers here. But maybe, uh, say, 900 trillion years from now, and we're looking back on our life here, and we'll say, wow, you remember when we were sitting in that church down there called Resurrection? And we were thinking about this and thinking about that. And we were worried about this and concerned about that and all that. Boy, if I knew then what I know now, boy, I would have lived a little differently. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place. Four things I want to bring to you today. The text is Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. God's plan includes preparing a city just for you. God has a plan. For he prepared a city for them, out of Hebrews 11. 
And in John 14, 2 and 3, it says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. If I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be there also. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9, the, the Bible tells us, Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither is entered into the hearts of men the things that God has in store for those who love him. In other words, we can't even begin to fathom the wonderful riches and the wonderful things that God has in store for us. I'm sometimes uh, just blown away. I don't know if you ever have done this and you've seen some of these um, pictures of the telescope and they shoot it out there into the universe and they show you the millions and millions and millions and millions of stars. And they tell, you, tell us that there is millions of the galaxies. Now, <laughs> we've made it to the moon. And uh, we haven't made it hardly any further than that, but we haven't got out of our universe, and yet there are millions of universes. Who's to say what God has in store for those that love him and called according to his purpose? What a wonderful thing it's going to be when we get to heaven, our permanent home. Just think about this. No more pollution. No more smog. You that suffer from allergies, what a glorious time it's going to be. <laughs> No more fleshly, sinful deeds. No more murders, muggings, and theft. No crime. How about that? How about this? No more pain. No more teeth falling out. Hair taking, his <laughs> taking a hiatus. And on and on we could go. There'd be a no alarm systems and no locked doors. Makes me think, if I'm going to be like Jesus... And he's going to change me like he is. Will I be able to appear through a door? Could I be able to be jettisoned to another universe? Could it be? I don't know. I'm just curious about heaven. I like to let my imagination run sometimes. This earth is not our home. They were looking for a city God had built where he dwelt. In fact, if you just take your Bibles or look with me on the screen there, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiled on the earth, for those who say such things made it clear that they were seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Amen. Wonderful truth. You know, we, we go sometimes to funerals, and it's, uh, in, in many ways it's sad, but in any way it's a celebration. If it's a Christian, they've gone home to that heavenly home. That wonderful place where there is no more pain and no more sorrow and no more tears and all of those things. God has prepared for them. And I've sat by the bedside of many, many people that are dying. And I've gone to people who've asked me, I mean, a number of people have asked me, Pastor, why am I still here? 
I want to go home so badly, but the Lord keeps me here. For some of those that are real prayer warriors, and I tell about <laughs> God's not going to let you go yet. We need you badly. And I have had people who every week we had a list of about 200 people. And every week they would ask me for a copy to make sure they would be praying for those people during the week. We need people like that who will lift up others in prayer. They were looking for a city which God had built. A city not made by God's hand, but made by man's hands, but one God reserved for brothers and sisters like you and me. Remember that God prepared heaven for people, hell for the devil and his angels. It's not God's design that men go into the eternal flames of hell and be separated from God forever. That's not God's plan. Man chooses whether he wants to go to heaven and to spend time with God for the rest of his life or depart into hell. He makes the choice and God will let him make it because he won't force anybody to do anything. You know, we sing a song, used to sing a song, here, here among the shadows living in a lonely land with strangers were a hand of pilgrims on the move. Through dangers burdened down with sorrow, we've shunned, shunned, we're shunned on every hand, but we're looking for a city built above. Looking for a city? You remember the song? Yes, I'm looking for a city yonder where we'll never die. And up there with all the saints, the sainted millions, we'll never say goodbye. No, never say goodbye. Then we'll meet our Savior and our loved ones too. Now we pray, come Holy Spirit, all our hopes renew. We found contentment. Jesus promised us a home. So we're looking for a city, a city built above, trusting in the blessed Savior's love and mercy. Though we may be strangers living in this world of care, we're always looking for a city built above. You know the song? Some of you have heard it. Some of you old timers, maybe. You've been around and you've heard that song. Well, last week we left off with Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, believing God for a child. Though there were a lot of questions along the way. I mean, 25 years had gone by since God had made a promise to Abraham and, and nothing had happened. And so Abraham decided he's going to help God out. And so it's the custom of the day. You could take one of your slaves and have a child by that slave and that became your son. And so Abraham thought, well, you know, God's maybe he's forgot about me or maybe I'm supposed to, you know, help him out. And so he has a child by Hagar and look at the mess over the Middle East today. The Jews and Arabs have continually been fighting for thousands of years because Abraham decided he's going to help God out. After all, God needs a little help, doesn't he? Well, Abraham was 75. God made this promise about his future. Nothing had happened. And the take note, God is always working his eternal purpose out so that he gets the glory, not we ourselves. I love Psalm 115. One, it says, not unto us, the Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory because of thy mercy and truth. Then over the New Testament, Paul would write, if I glory in anything, may I glory in the cross. What did they know that we often so forget? It's not about us. It's about him. It's about him. Isaiah 55 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For the, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
And because of who he is and what he can do, God is preparing a place for you, and it's going to be outrageously good. I can't emphasize that enough. I can't. Uh, I wish somehow, and I could just explain and and uh, open up and, and and let you just get a glimpse of how wonderful that would be. Just be in a place where God dwells, and never have to worry again. God is preparing a city just for you. Number two, we desire God's plan based on his promises. If you look at verses 14 and 16, at the end of that verse there it says, and as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. By admitting they were aliens, they knew that this was not their home country. And in fact, if their hearts were still in the old country, they could have returned. But they chose not to go back. The reason? They desired a better country that is a heavenly one. It is this spiritual longing that enables us to persevere in our faith. One of these days, life comes to an end. It's inevitable whether you like it or not. Amen? It will come to an end one way or another, and we'll be jettisoned off into the presence of God. For the Christian, it be a wonderful time of rewards for the person without Christ. He has to give an account for every thought, word, deed, motive, and attitude. There will be no excuses. It will be a horrible day for some, but a wonderful day for others. God made promises to Abraham. But what promises did he make? Well, for one in Genesis 17, 1 through 16, that his descendants would be as numerous as the sands of the sea. For another, he says, I will bless you and make you great. You'll be the father of a multitude of nations, and through you all the nations that bless you will be blessed through you and because of you. Had Abraham seen any of that yet? That'd be a resounding no. He believed God based on God's promises and his past performance. Now look at verse 11. It says, by faith, Sarah received power to conceive. In other words, God changed her body. Now, she laughed when she heard the news that she was going to have a baby. Wouldn't it have been interesting dinner talk? Your husband's 99 and you're 90? Let your mind just run a little bit with that. Would you like to set in on that? <laughs> I have a pretty vivid mind. Was Abraham an optimist? George Sweeting, the past president of Moody Bible Institute, here's what he said about optimism. He says, optimism is an 85-year-old man married to a 35-year-old woman and moved into a 12-bedroom house next to an elementary school. <laughs> That's an optimist. Well, God had a better plan. How about a 99-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman to be parents of not just a, just a schoolhouse of children, but an entire earth of descendants? Verse 12 says, as many as the stars of the heaven, as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Had Abraham seen any of that yet? Not one bit. Sarah previously said, I'm worn out. My Lord is old. Romans 4.18 is Abraham considered his own body as good as dead. But like Abraham, we need to desire God's plan based on his promises. Centuries later, in 
Philippians 3.20, Paul would tell the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. To the Ephesians, in Ephesians 2.19, he says, so then we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are doubly blessed. Citizenship here and a citizenship in heaven. Chuck Swindle said, we're supernaturalized citizens, for our citizenship is not only with one another, but it's rooted in heaven. To the Colossians, chapter 3 says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on the things of this earth. For if you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Then this great line, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you shall also appear with him in glory. Let me read it to you again. When Christ, who is your life, your life, your life. See, it's not about what I think. It ought to be about he's, what he thinks, what he wants. It's about his life in me. Then we will appear with him in glory. Well, God is preparing a city for you, but you must desire the plan based on his promises. Thirdly, we must seek God's plan. Verse 13, they all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them from afar off and were persuaded of them, they embraced them and confessed that they're strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear they are seeking a country of their own. It's not enough to desire something. You must seek it. Remember the passage in Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. A lot of people forget that. Seeking the kingdom of God. But in the process of seeking, I'm doing what's right. Not just seeking God. Seeking. God molded Abraham. He tested his faith and his obedience. God persevered and brought about changes in both Abraham and in Sarah. He had to. They were too old. He brought about these necessary changes. I like what Don Van Sickle said last week. They got to participate in God's eternal plan, even though they knew very few details. <laughs> they knew very few, all right. And so they had to wait. Isn't waiting one of the hardest things to do? Man, I'll have to admit, I hate it. <laughs> I don't like, I don't like, uh, I don't like red lights. hundred yards, nobody coming that way, and you look that way, and then and everywhere you look, and in front and back, and you're sitting there at a light, waiting for a light, thinking, hmm, what shall I do? We don't want to wait two minutes for popcorn. Like, why can't we can't come, come, can't, can't you come up with something that's done in 30 seconds? How about when your computer's just running a little slow, and it won't do what it needs to do. Do you get a little frustrated over that? You ever shared a few words with your computer? <laughs> it's a hard thing to wait, and yet they waited 25 years for this promise. This was not their home. They were looking for a city which God had built and he dwelt. A city not made by man's hands, but one preserved for brothers and sisters like you and me. Remember, God prepared heaven for people who walk by faith. 
people like you and me. While they were waiting on these promises in the city where God had prepared for them to dwell permanently, they were persuaded of them and they embraced these promises. The promise that he would raise them up and there would be a kingdom established here on earth. They hadn't received this promise yet. Verse 39, if you you look down in your Bibles, because God is still calling a people to his name today and he's bringing many sons home to glory. Aren't you glad that God God didn't say 1920, that's the cutoff period. I don't think anybody here was born before 1920. I could be wrong, but aren't you glad that wasn't, wasn't the cutoff period? Everybody after that, you know, tough luck. Man, I'm, I'm thankful that God is patient. Amen. When you tend, tend to get impatient with some other brother or sister because something they're doing or not doing, just remember how long God's been working with you to get you where that you are today and nowhere near perfect. Helps me to remember that. What seems to make this story so impossible or or unbelievable is that they didn't have a permanent home. They were strangers and pilgrims in this land. And so they're walking by faith. It causes, um, it will cause us to recognize that as children of God, we're just pilgrims in this land also. We're strangers here. But it says in the scripture there, in the text, that they say such things, declare plainly that they're seeking a country. This is not it. This is a stop off. Think about it. 100 years versus 1 trillion, oh, let's make it 999 trillion. That's about as far up as I can go. 100 years of that. That's, the, that's not even one grain of sand down at the sand shore or the seashore. Faith looks forward to a future home, and I'm really beginning to enjoy this idea of looking forward to it. The more I creep up and get a little older and older, I'm I'm liking the idea that, you know, staying in shape and doing this and getting to this appointment and doing that and all, that takes a lot of work. Wouldn't it be nice to go to a place where you don't get fat? You don't have to always worry, always say that your wife is putting your clothes in the dryer too long, you know, has nothing to do with what you're eating. Faith looks forward to a future home. It does. I want to examine the concept of strangers and pilgrims because you need to get this idea about how they felt. What the uh, the writers really conveyed to us because he uses three vivid Greek words here. Xenos is the first one. Stranger or foreigner is what it means. And in the ancient world, the fate of a stranger was very hard. He was regarded with hatred and suspicious and contempt. In the Greek writings, a man complained that he was despised because he was a Xenos. He was a foreigner or a stranger. Another man writes, as poor as home is, it's better to live in home than in a foreign country. When the clubs had their common meal, those who sat down were divided into members and strangers. Strangers and foreigners could also mean refugee. All those lives of the patriarchs, they were all their life, they were foreigners and refugees in a land that was not their own. Think about this for a moment. Think about all the people displaced in the world today. That's millions. Look at Syria and devastation in Lebanon. Look at what's taking place. Look at the people coming across the border. They're leaving their land. If you will, they're, some of them are refugees because they're getting away from the cartel in their countries. Others are just seeking a better life. 
Think about the people of the Ukraine and the thousands of people that fled that area. Foreigners coming into another land, refugees. Verse 9, Abraham was a, in other words, sojourner. He was a resident alien. The word is used uh, of the Jews when they're captive in Babylon and Egypt for 430 years. A sojourner was not much more than a slave in the social class. He had to pay an alien tax. He was always an outsider and the only one on payment. He was on payment even to be a member of the community. He was an alien residence. This is another Greek word, verse 13. One that means he was staying, staying there temporarily who had his permanent home someplace else. So sometimes his stay was just strictly limited. An outsider was a man in lodgings, one without a home in a place where life had sent him. All of his lives, the patriarchs were men who had no settled place that they could call home. Now, to dwell in a foreign land was a humiliating thing back in the ancient days. To foreigners in a country, a certain stigma was attached. So that in ancient days, to its natural unhappiness of being an alien, there was this utter bitter humiliation of being a foreigner or a refugee. In all the days of the patriarchs, they were strangers in a strange land. We're very fortunate in America because we don't go through a lot of problems that a lot of countries have gone through. And that's, I will say, primarily because God has been our focus. Now, we deviated long, long from that. But God has blessed us in so many ways because we've kept him forefront. We're still in the process of doing that. Sometimes I wonder how long that's going to last, but we're still there. In spite of all of these things, men never lost their vision or hope. Their hope always persevered because they kept their eyes on him. Their focus was God's promises. And in spite of everything, they never wished to go back. Now, some of their descendants did. You remember the ones that got out in the desert and they wanted to go back to the flesh pots of Egypt and they begged Moses to send them back. We want to go home. We want to go back. But the patriarchs never did. They kept their eyes on the promises and God worked with them and helped them through it all. And uh, they waited on God and waited on God. You know, I don't know much about aviation, but I do know this much. There is a point of no return. When you start out at a destination, let's say you start out in New York and you're going to England and you fly and you get about whatever the percentage is, let's just say 75%. And there's a point of no return that you can't turn around and fly back to New York because you have no petrol or as my brother would say, he lived in South Africa. You have no fuel. You can't be, get back to that place. There's a point of no return. And one of the great tragedies in life is that people turn back too soon. A little more effort or a little more waiting on God, a little more hoping and trusting their dream would, dream would come true, but they gave up too soon. Thomas Edison, as you know, got the electricity and the light bulb and all that good stuff going, you know, and all the things he did. And he failed over a thousand times. But he, you know how he looked at it? He said, I didn't fail a thousand times. He says, I can just tell you a thousand ways you can't get that done. <laughs> he said people give up too soon and they quit sometimes in the middle of the battle and he, he went on to say one great one of our greatest weaknesses is in giving up too soon 
Well, immediately when a Christian sets out on some enterprise for God, he should feel like he's past the point of no return. God's called me to this, I'm going to this, and this is where I'm going, so help me God. Unless he takes me home, this is where I'm going. Now, you look down 50 years or 50 billion years or whatever it may be into eternity, and you'll say, man, I am sure glad I made that choice. I'm sure God, glad that God motivated me and helped me make that choice for him. I'm sure glad I obeyed God when he told me this. I'm sure glad I was involved in doing this. I'm sure glad I didn't just waste my time away just having fun and not being involved with walking with God. God loves men who are ready to venture for his name. The, the comfort-seeking man is the very opposite of God. So my caution today to you is this. Don't allow yourself to be so comfortable you will not, you'll not move out for God. Remember, this is not your home. It's just a little residence time that you're going to spend here until you go to your heavenly home. Do you have a problem with retirement? One of the biggest problems for retirees is putting their feet up and saying, you know, I've done mine. Let somebody else do it. We grapple with that. How much is enough? When's it over? Well, it's over when God calls us home. Amen. Do you really want to quit? I, I tell elderly people this, senior citizens, because I, I am one now. You've got more patience. You've got more wisdom. You have a better work ethic than the most of the people around you. Why would you quit now? The younger generation needs you. They need you. They need to see you walking with God. You know, do you know the song, This World Is Not My Home, I'm Just a Passing Through? My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me, the heavens open door, and I can't feel at home in this world. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Abraham picked up everything he had, headed west, kept going until he was told to stop. How did you like that for directions? I'll let you know when you arrive. Just take off. Let's come to the final point. God is not only preparing the city. We must desire his plan. We must seek his plan. And finally, faith is God's plan for you. Verses 6 and 13, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Verse 13, all these died in faith without seeing the promises and not having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. They didn't see them, but they believed them. They saw them through the eyes of faith, knowing God guaranteed their success. Listen, did the patriarchs fail along the way as great as they were? Every one of them. Look how many times Jake, Jacob <laughs> deceived, and in time he got deceived. But he was a usurper. He was rightly named. It's a good thing God changed his name. He paid for it dearly. Samson was a womanizer, failed so many times, failed, his, failed God and failed his people he was supposed to help. Eli failed to train his sons, and both of them died under God's hand. David committed adultery and then murder. You could go down the list and see all the failures that are listed in the Bible. It's one of the things you like about the Bible because it just tells it like it is. Doesn't spare your feelings. This is the way it is. 
It also says, if all is sin and come short of the glory of God. Mm, that means me. That means you. Tells it like it is. Look at Abraham. He lied big time. He went to a land that he's not supposed to go to, and the, and the king there said, hey, who's that beautiful baby you got with? And he goes, oh, oh that, that's my sister. It was his wife. So the man takes her into his harem, and, and I don't know how many weeks and months went by, you know, and all kinds of bad things happened to the, the pharaoh down there or the king down there. And um, lo and behold, he said, what have you done to us? And Abraham had to confess up the lot and didn't tell the truth. In fact, he did it twice. I like the story of the three boys. He found this dog out in the country, and they were talking. And there was no collar around the little dog's neck. It's a beautiful little dog. And so they were arguing about who's going to take the dog home. And so they came up with this, how, you know, this, some, some way to find out who's going to get it. And they say, well, whoever can tell the biggest lie. And while they were talking, the preacher comes up and he says, what's going on, boys? And so they told him what was going on. And he was aghast and he said, a lie? He said, I'd never think about, when I was a youngster, I never thought about telling a lie. In fact, I never told one. And all three boys just hung their heads like this. They looked down and finally one boy looked up and says, okay, pastor, you can have the dog. <laughs> Who hasn't lied? Who hasn't told the half truth? Actually, Abraham told the half truth because she was half. He was a, was a sister in a sense. He lied. You can go through the annals of history. Find all the lies and stuff they've been told. But listen, have you committed some sin? Maybe even a horrible one? Have you made some bad decision or hurt a number of people? Maybe even yourself? Maybe sins cost you some great pain and maybe some to those you love. Maybe you ended up alone or depressed or in financial debt or divorced or in a rehab center. Or maybe you even went to prison. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God paid for those sins. That's the good news. And you can find complete forgiveness in him. He paid the price. He paid it all. You can find forgiveness by what he did for you on the cross, that he washed away your sins. Oh, and he'll give you life within. He not only by the cross paid for the penalty of sin, but because of the resurrection, life comes to live within, to help us live like we could not live before. The debt's been paid. Don't hide, in your, don't hide your failures. Don't blame other people. Don't run from God. Acknowledge it for what it is. I need God. I need his help. Oh, and he's so ready to help. That's the wonderful thing about God. When you call out to him, he'll reach out to you. Well, the result of men's faith, Abraham's story, God was not ashamed to call him their God. Listen, if you're walking by faith today, you're a child of God, God's not afraid to call you his God. He's not ashamed. I've asked myself this question many times this week. I wonder if God is ashamed of my walk. Is my walk a walk of faith or is it a walk of pleasure? Am I pleasing me or am I pleasing him? I ask myself that question. Will you, be, will you tell of the wonders and the, and the workings of God in your life and be bold to do it? 
I love the story of Henry C. Morrison. He was returning to New York after 40 years as a missionary in Africa. And uh, as he was coming, pulling into New York Harbor, on that same boat was a widely popular Theodore Roosevelt, the president. And uh, boy, the fans were cheering. They were going nuts. And he looked out like that and he thought, after 40 years on the mission field, four decades in the Lord's service, he felt a little dejected because nobody was there to greet him. And then his wife's voice came to him and said, she said, Henry, you're not home yet. <laughs> you're not home yet. Who's going to be looking for you when you get to heaven? I hope there's a lot of people looking for you when you get home. It's a temporary spot. It's all. You're lucky if you'll be here a hundred years. You'll be in eternity forever. One day we'll leave this place, your house, and enter God's home, a paradise designed for you. Hopefully we'll hear the, the Savior say this, well done, son. Well done, daughter. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Oh, and by the way, here are the, kings, here are the keys to heaven. Without in faith, it's impossible to please him. And our invitation this morning goes like this. If you're not here, if you're, not, if you're, if you're here and you, and you don't have Christ, you can meet him today. You can meet him today. He's reliable and steadfast and sure. Look, things change all around us all the time. You don't know who you can count on. You thought you could count on a friend, but they let you down. Shoot, you thought you could count on your spouse and they let you down. And then even worse, you thought you could count on yourself and you let yourself down. Who can you count on? He's reliable and sure and true. You can count on him. He knows all about you and he loves you still. It's a wonderful thing about God. Come to him. You can find forgiveness of sin. You can find relief and peace. Christian friend, let me say this to you. Life is not making it through, just making it through and finally get to retirement till you can enjoy life. It's about honoring him all the way through life, and especially when you get to retirement. It's not time to quit. It's not time to give up. Honoring God matters. Comfortability is not one of the, it's one of, probably one of the biggest stumbling blocks that we find in America. Just want to be comfortable. So don't allow the American dream to prevent you from listening to the voice of God. God has a plan for you. Desire his plan and seek his plan and he will reveal it to you. And remember this, you're not home yet. Father, thank you for this time that we're having. I pray for individuals right now who are making decisions about what they're going to do with their life and how they're going to spend it. I pray that you would just impress upon them the need to be faithful to the end. Don't get up, give up in the middle of the battle. I pray for the person without Christ today that they would say yes to you and enter a relationship with you where you can bless and grow them to be the kind of person that you've designed them to be before the foundation of the world. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.